Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there and welcome to what is a, I guess a really extra special episode of the Explaining History podcast. Um, as of this episode I've been doing this podcast for 10 years um, and it, it's been, it was it began by total accident. Um, I just did a couple of recordings for my students and uh, placed them uh, on the internet. I knew nothing about podcasting. Uh, and then, hey presto, people from around the world began to, to listen. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful to everyone who's listened uh, and everyone who's um, able to, to listen now um, for the, the opportunity, the privilege really, to be able to do this every week um, uh, and to uh, just talk about what, what I think is, is interesting and worthwhile explorations of the 20th century. This podcast um, has the the point of it really is to offer some kind of a filter uh, on on the internet, uh, and the way that to do that is by looking at really good or really interesting, sometimes controversial, peer reviewed history, uh, and, and hearing from the historian's own words. It's, it's not really me. I mean, I have from time to time been accidentally called by people who 
right into the podcast to ask me questions. A historian, and, and I'm not really, I'm a history teacher. Uh, I've written a couple of history textbooks, but I have never really done a piece of top quality peer-reviewed um, history. Um, just because I don't have the time. Um, and uh, um, never quite got around to doing a PhD. Um, so the, the the historians that I talk about, the people whose work I really value, they're the stars of this this podcast. Um, I am just the the kind of interlocutor. Um, so yeah, this is uh, quite a, a, a monumental sort of milestone, really. Well, not not in any general sense, but for me it is. Uh, and uh, I'm uh, really, really uh, grateful to continue being able to serve the Explaining History community. And it has become like a little community. I've made friends uh, throughout the, the last 10 years. There have been people who have written to me I've got to know quite well. And uh, people have helped me along the way. And I've had uh, some very generous uh, donations towards the cost of the, uh, the podcast. And uh, staying financially solvent in these wintry economic times. So yeah, I'm hugely, hugely uh, grateful for uh, everyone that's, that's come to value this. Something I wanted to talk about this week, um, I'm, I'm consciously not talking about uh, the death of Queen Elizabeth the, II. Not that there isn't a, an abundance of history to be dis discussed there, but um, it, it, there is, so much being said on the subject that I have basically nothing else to offer other than obviously Great Britain is in the midst of some kind of great psychical crisis at the moment. But I, I wanted to talk about a, a kind of a pervasive myth that really has helped to shape Britain in the second half of the 20th century. And it's a myth that um, the royal family um, had a, a key part in in making, but it's um, one that has it, it's had all sorts of kind of uh, pernicious if, effects really, and it is the the myth of British society during the short period of time um, of the the, the Blitz, ger the uh, German bombing of British cities. Now, the original and best sort of master work on this subject was. Um, the, both the, the People's War by Angus Calder and his um, book uh, The Myth of the Blitz, which really uh, took apart this um, well-constructed Ministry of Information fantasy that um, the Brits, the, the Blitz, I beg your Freudian pardon, um, the Blitz brought out the kind of the best in the British people uh, and unified the nation and help to transcend class divisions and all these, these sorts of things that can't realistically be true and turn out on when you know with the even the most cursory sort of uh, primary evidence examination uh, not to be true but tonight I'm going to look at the the bombing war by Richard Overy and if you've uh, listened to this podcast for a while you'll know that I, I do refer to this book from time to time um, and he takes issue with the idea of, of the, the Blitz spirit, uh, which even kind of during COVID and probably during the cost of living crisis that Britain's facing at the moment, uh, politicians and newspaper columnists 
uh, and other people who are singularly lacking in any sort of uh, in, sort of imagination or integrity will will reach for once again uh, to encourage basically yeah uh, poor people to make sacrifices on behalf of their betters. Okay, so Richard Avery writes. In mid-September 1940, a London East End pacifist wrote a letter to Quaker activist Ruth Fry, refusing, refusing her offer of a bed outside the capital to escape the bombs, preferring to wait and be killed if, um, if fate so dictated. It was a frank uh, and certainly prejudiced view of the crisis. People remained calm, yes, but happy, certainly not, the writer continued. No gas, tea... Um, no, no gas, tea shops closed takes two and a half hours to boil a kettle uh, when a trickle of gas comes through thousands sleeping in the underground but Churchill remains a great man the man of destiny in the House of Commons just meets now and then to listen to, to a carefully studied speech how low have we fallen the writer thought Churchill might even sell Britain short by reaching a backstairs agreement with Hitler some may well think that we deserve to be bombed, the writer reflected, but the right people don't get hurt. A nice winter in prospect. In almost every respect, uh, writes Richard Overy, except the perception of calmness, this letter defies the popular image of British society under the impact of the Blitz and of the iconic status enjoyed by Britain's most famous Prime Minister. It suggests that in the face of bombing, there were many historical realities, not one. Ordinary people responded to the sudden catastrophe in a myriad of ways, and if some fulfilled the popular image of placid fortitude, there were others, like the letter writer, who saw injustice and bad faith in high places. Behind the rhetoric of we can take it, uh, the social response to the German bombing was complex and fractured. Now, coming back to this sort of 10-year anniversary, if anything, you know, this podcast is about anything at all it's about those two words complex and fractured it's about the the idea hopefully that we can talk about that simple narratives and you know the things that you know we assume to be shorthand for the truth rarely are that and that history is just much more fractured and complex and uh, un unwilling to fit into these stories in, in, in the way that we would hope for the British people, writes Richard Overy, were the first to experience a heavy and prolonged campaign of independent bombing. British society was the first to be tested to see whether the fantastical images of social disintegration suggested in the air culture of the pre-war years would really be the outcome. The um, air ministry um, assumed that, uh, the, that bombing would kill tens of millions of people. In the run-up to the outbreak of war, there's a was a wood shortage, and we actually the country actually ran out of woods because so many coffins were were built, uh, and there was an assumption again by the air ministry that society would completely collapse within a short space of time. Obviously, these these things didn't happen either. The worst predictions didn't occur, and yet um, the the idea that uh, Britain was uh, carrying on with a kind of calmness and grace. That's a kind of a, a wild exaggeration too. 
Moreover, British civilians had for centuries been spared the horrors of invasion, occupation and civil war that had regularly punctuated uh, the history of continental Europe. The violent death of over 43,000 people during the almost year-long German campaign was an unprecedented violation of British domestic life. The narrative of this violation differs remarkably from the narrative of the bombing itself, as it does for all bombing um, as it does for all bombing campaigns. Bombing raids took a matter of a few hours at most, but the act of ejecting bombs took no more than a few seconds over the target. Bomber crews were not like soldiers confined to front lines, and the battlefield strewn with corpses, the wreckage wrought by bombs and shells all too visible. Air crews returned to base and, environment, uh, and an environment of relative calm. Yet for the bombed um, community, the, uh, for, yet for the bombed community, I beg your pardon, the strike of the bombs was just the beginning. The material, social, and psychological impact of bomb destruction persisted for weeks or months, sometimes years. Bombing was a brief, if dangerous, operation for the bomber crew, but it was a profound social fact for the victims who lived more permanently with its consequences. The British government was all too aware in the late 1930s of the extraordinary demands likely to be made uh, uh, made on the fabric of the state and the resolution of the population if a major bombing campaign ever happened. Through preparations to uh, the preparations to cope with the air menace were launched nationwide from the mid 1930s. Uh, there remained intrinsic limitations as what to what could be done. A report on the evacuation plans in January 1939 put the problem bluntly. In a country the size of England, there is under the conditions of modern war no place of absolute safety. It was understood that safety was only relative and that high levels of casualty and destruction were almost certainly unavoidable. The one sure protection for the population was to provide a bomb-proof shelter, but central government and local authorities alike appreciated this was a council of perfection. An official leaflet on shelters produced in 1939 urged the public to realise that the idea of a bomb-proof shelter was misleading. Literally, it means a shelter conferring complete immunity from the direct hit of the heaviest piercing bomb, ran the explanation. It is not considered practicable to design a structure giving such immunity. The official British response to the coming bombing campaign was to always limit the damage not to avoid it. There are so many interesting parallels there um, with um, later crises during the war, um, and the and, and the kind of the, the role that the British state has ha, has often had in its uh, offer of um, partial protection to its its citizens, and the idea that um, British citizens ha, had a role. Uh, in protecting themselves uh, and that they might be best served building their own shelters in their back gardens um, and partly this is to do with the uh, the limits to what the British state believed it should do 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The limits to what the British state believed um, was the function of the state um, and the limits to which the British state um, believed that it could and should encroach on the, uh, the rights of ordinary civilians. Um, and also um, the idea that um, irrespective of what you do people will at some point die and you sort of have to become inured to that um, the uh, part of the kind of the, the, the training of Britain's elites really in um, uh, elite public schools like uh, Eton uh, is to help them to uh, cope with the responsibilities of, of this sort of thing and uh, of uh, uh, allowing people um, if necessary uh, to perish when the mass civilian bombing campaigns against Britain began um, it became uh, apparent to Britain's politicians and Britain's ruling classes and Britain's commentators that civilian areas uh, being bombed were sort of front lines. They were the the kind of the the battlefield, and creating this idea of a civilian front line has uh, big social and political um, questions and consequences. Uh, again, Richard Overy writes, the idea of a civilian front line raised innumerable innumerable questions about how to transform a predominantly urban population organised by civilian authorities into a community, community capable of withstanding and contesting the effects of heavy bombing. The local records make it clear that if the Blitz had begun on the 3rd of September 1939, the consequences would have been much worse than they proved to be a year later. The long interval between the outbreak of war and the onset of bombing gave, the, uh, gave both the government and local administration time to prepare their front line and to encourage uh, the growing militarisation of a large section of the population. The slow pace of recruitment of civil defence personnel before the start of the war ended with the onset of hostilities. Between 1939 and 1940, an army of regulars and volunteers was created capable of manning the front line. 
for the rest of the civilian population, habits of obedience to the blackout regulations, um, gas mask drill, uh, air raid alerts and evacuation imposed on everyone, an exceptional pattern of wartime behaviour that persisted until the very end of the war. So by the, the kind of the, the militarisation of the population, this creation of a front line, we're, we're talking about uh, air raid wardens um, and uh, civil, sort of the sort of civil defence um, uh, non-combatant uh, sort of um, individuals, people, uh, volunteer firemen, um, people who were um, trained in the the kind of the, the excavating of, of rubble and the use of sniffer dogs to um, help help people and to find people who, who had survived the bombing um, that kind of thing um, part of this regulation um, where you do, we're talking about blackout curtains and that, that kind of thing part of this regulation represented simple self-interest but it survived even during the long periods after 1941, when the bombing was comparatively light and intermittent. The development of a civil defence mentality derived in part from the democratic nature of total war, which insisted that all civilians had a part to play and encouraged the view that wartime identity was linked to new ideas of the civil warrior. When the government considered the idea that workers should carry on working even after the air raid's alarm had sounded, the risk was justified by the argument that all those engaged in vital war work are frontline troops. In 1945, Herbert Morrison, British Home Secretary, throughout most of the Blitz, summed up the civil defence forces he had organised as a citizen army filled with rank-and-file warriors, men and women alike. I suspect that the, the political changes that happened after the Second World War um, are in part um, the result of, well, in part of the, the kind of the anger at the national governments, the Tory-led national governments against the privations of the Great Depression. But it's also uh, about uh, the, the, the effect of uh, the kind of the radicalising political effect of mass mobilisation during the war. Uh, the idea that everyone can become involved in the protection of a society and that there can be mass participation after the war in the development of, a, of an entirely different kind of society or a, a, a significantly different one, the one um, that sees the, the development of a welfare state. In reality, of course, writes Richard Avery, civilians were not soldiers. The civil defence network had to be built up from the late 1930s using civilians who were neither armed nor uniformed nor used to the demands of regular quasi-military discipline. Following the Air Raid Precautions Act in late 1937, local authorities were obliged to establish a local civil defence scheme to be approved by the Home Office Air Raid Precautions Department set up in 1935 by the Sir John Hodson. Central government undertook to fund 65 to 75% of the cost, subject to Home Office approval. The local councils were expected to appoint an ARP and an Air Aid Precautions controller to, con uh, to um, coordinate all the civil defence activity, and it was generally expected that in the threatened urban areas, this would be the local town clerk, head of, um, head of the municipal administration. Um, 19, uh, it was early as 1932, um, 
uh, Stanley Ball when uh, famously said, you know, the lone bomber will, will always get through. And there was an awareness that uh, the next war would be fought from the air. But by the time you get to 1936, 1937, 1938, when you see um, the consequences of uh, aerial bombing in Abyssinia, uh, bombing in Spain during the Civil War, uh, and the uh, Japanese bombing uh, of Nanjing, um, the, there are these there are these international demonstrations of air power and the effect that it will have on civilians. And this is obviously not lost on uh, any European government, particularly Great Britain. And the um, the the threat uh, from the air is what brings about this transformation in. Um, air raid protection, particularly um, as a question of uh, what what Germany will do and the extent to which um, appeasement can work. Obviously Chamberlain comes to power in 37 um, and he believes that the the, 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 the task or his, his historic task is really to uh, avert war and to avert the mass civilian bombing of Great Britain um, and part of the reason for his uh, failed attempts to come to a settlement with Hitler um, are based around his, his desire to prevent um, the cities of Britain that he's um, uh, under his chancellorship and prime ministership ha had um, developed uh, seeing them um, raised to the ground. Um, of course, the failing for Chamberlain was the assumption that um, Hitler also wished to avoid war, and Chamberlain couldn't quite understand the mindset of a leader who was uh, very enthusiastic about war and enthusiastic about the the losses on their own side that that would entail. Um, and this is something that uh, Chamberlain never really understood about Hitler. So. I guess the kind of the, the key takeaway here, and we'll um, look more at this kind of spirit of the Blitz uh, idea, is that yes, there was a kind of a, a, a quasi sort of civilian militarization um, of um, or a, 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 the, the civilian organization before the war, and then a massive increase in that during the, the first year of the war. But the idea that uh, a some kind of uh, magical British spirit prevailed and um, transformed the nation and then that was what kind of uh, held the nation together during the privations of the Blitz. There, there's very little evidence for that and there is plenty of evidence for the fact that actually um, the, the kind of popular resentments around things like rationing and the fact that Wealthy people seem to still be able to be rather well, um, and come on with that. And a, a, a miniature crime wave during the Blitz would suggest that social harmony was something that um, bombing couldn't achieve. Anyway, I'm going to finish there, folks. I'd just like to say once again, for the last ten years, for everyone who's been listening, thank you so much, uh, and it's been a, a privilege to do this every week for all of you. Take care, everybody. All the best. Bye bye.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.